Welcome to the Peak Human Performance Podcast. The home for those who are serious about unleashing their potential and achieving personal peak performance. Whether you are a high performer, a high level athlete, or you want to become one, then this is a home for you. Now, here's your host, Riyadh Hasham. Strength and honor. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the PHP podcast. Today, out of the PHP clinic, the home of high achievers, athletes and executives alike. Today, we have a very special episode. It's very dear to me as it was an interview I did with my late mentor, Charles Poliquin, back in 2016, just two years before his passing. Without further ado, let's get started. Good morning, Charles. Welcome to the Peak Human Performance Podcast. Thank you very much for accepting the invitation. Charles, today I will be firing on you a few questions, very special questions from my uh, clients. Mainly those are executives. A few of them are athletes, high achievers. Hence the diversity of the questions. Are you ready? Let's get started. Question number one is from Sebastian. Sebastian is a nuclear engineer from Germany and he's asking whether the omega-3s have an impact on the thyroid gland. Yes, omega-3s do influence the thyroid uh, gland. More indirectly though than specifically, we know there's a receptor sites for omega-3s on every gene in the human genome. So of course omega-3 would impact the thyroid. But where it helps the thyroid is actually mitigating both cortisol and insulin response. When you do control insulin and cortisol output, indirectly it has a huge impact on thyroid gland. Uh, the thyroid gland is inhibited by high levels of those hormones, insulin and cortisol. So the more you medicate that, the more you help your thyroid. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Uh, indeed, the impact of cortisol on the uh, thyroid function is very often uh, ignored. Very often I see in my clients the limiting factors, of course, things like sleep, bad nutrition, etc., etc. However, very often it goes down to sluggish thyroid. And very often the tool to fix that is uh, looking into uh, cortisol management, better cortisol management, mainly led by, of course, better sleep and overall smarter stress management. All right, Charles, let's get to the second question. Second question is from uh, Daniel. Daniel is asking, what's the optimal training frequency for a beginner? The optimal number of training sessions for a beginner is actually four. Anything less than four, in my opinion, is maintenance training. And if you look at the research, the scientific research, it points out that doing that extra workout, so the four days a week, is actually results in 50% more results in training. Absolutely. Four times a week is uh, the golden, uh, let's say, sweet spot okay so running a performance facility as as we do here uh, we see the fastest results with people who are on uh, four times a week definitely so our rule of thumb is uh, the higher the frequency the faster the better the results are not necessarily more sustainable because we would have to apply a holistic approach in order to make sure people would not fall back into their former routines especially in terms of sleep and nutrition but surely in training as well but for 
those people would uh, go for four times a week, we see the fastest of uh, results, amazing results. No? So in six weeks, uh, just lately, James was one of our clients uh, who had uh, lost about seven kg and then uh, leaned quite a bit. Uh, amazing results uh, just within um, six weeks, basically, of uh, four times a week uh, frequency. So uh, three times a week, very often our clients would go for three times a week, uh, being uh, executives in nature or from or profession. They often can't afford to train uh, or make themselves free more than um, for three sessions uh, a week because of the commitment, work and family, etc. Twice a week is a frequency which we use usually for beginners, blue beginners who have not been training since a long time or not training at all. So at least we get to uh, to move. That's already for them a good exposure to start feeling the change in, uh, in terms of uh, cognitive function, in terms of energy levels, in terms of uh, deeper sleep, etc., etc. But then we try to get them away from twice uh, a week. A very interesting uh, aspect from twice a week we saw is that people will end up, uh, once they are efficient with their working weights, that they uh, end up being um, uh, more tired. And I, I, I try to explain to myself the fact that people are more recovered and each time they go for working uh, weights or working sets, they would uh, reach to soreness, DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness, and this uh, will make them tired again. And then uh, the time they will uh, go for the second session in a week, uh, they are over-recovered and then they will uh, produce soreness as, uh, as well. So this leads to overall fatigue, uh, mechanical fatigue, I would say, like pain in the muscles, etc. So once we get them to three times a week, they, uh, they feel better, so more energy. Uh, less soreness. Of course, four times a week is is, uh, is amazing. So the results are very, very uh, quite different. So it's uh, accumulative. All right, Charles, thank you very much for the uh, insight. So question number three, Natasha from Russia is asking, what's the most important aspect for a successful transformation? Is it recovery? Is it nutrition? Or is it training? Actually, it's like a shepherd's pie. It's a mixture of the ingredients. So if you take away the beef, you know, there's not much to it if you take away the lamb. So you need all three. However, where people have the most problem with discipline is actually nutrition. So if you look at it that way, that's where probably people will require the most help and the more guidance. Because once they come to the gym and you train them, they'll comply to that. It's the hours outside the gym that regulate how fast they lean out. Absolutely, can't agree more, uh, Ch Charles. So you, usually with beginners, we see, of course, uh, the weakest link very often, except with a few clients uh, who might be genetically uh, having better and good quality sleep and uninterrupted, etc., and deep quality sleep. So very often recovery led by sleep is the weak link. In fact, we have a house rule here at the PHP clinic. When people come in, clients come in, and have slept less than six and a half hours, we don't train them that day. It doesn't make sense, of course, to uh, overstress them. Training, as you know, uh, we know all, is a stressor, it's a controlled stressor uh, with the aim to traumatize the body and uh, lead the body to respond and with the right response, with growth, with strength, and so, uh, and so on and so forth, rehab, but not to 
over stress and and we feel when people uh, sleep less come in with a bad recovery that we uh, it doesn't make sense basically to overstress them so what we do with them is we send them very often to the infrared therapy to uh, help them with the growth hormone production better sleep the night after so Hence, uh, we believe the, the weak links very often with people or the weak link which we need to fix right away from the beginning is uh, sleep. Of course, very often nutrition is also a weak link with a lot of people. The weak link which would lead to failure, of course, beyond the, uh, the sleep and, and recovery uh, is nutrition. So uh, the damage we can do with the one bad meal, of course, it's, uh, uh, yeah, so it's, it's um, tremendous. And um, especially when uh, the goals are around body composition, fat loss, etc., etc. All right, Charles, so next question is um, from Mark from uh, Bristol. I have been uh, coaching Mark online for eight weeks. We, we achieved amazing results, his uh, pictures are on a, on a website he's a rugby guy and uh, he's asking the question regarding uh, hypertrophy development for the legs what's the best training regimen to grow legs i have to admit his legs uh, are the weaker part upper body uh, was amazing the transformation the response to the uh, eight weeks of uh, exposure was amazing uh, the legs are not as good as the upper body, so still we uh, produced uh, very good results. Uh, but I would say his legs were uh, really very stubborn in, in terms of growth. What, what's your point on uh, growing uh, quad or uh, legs uh, hypertrophy response? Let's say you can actually do squat double time, your body weight ass to the grass, and your legs are not up there yet. What you're probably lacking is time and attention. So your sets should be at least uh, 40 seconds long, but probably more like two minutes. Uh, when you do two minute leg presses, for example, the amount of growth hormone you produce is enormous. And of course that translates to IGF-1 levels, which will foster hypertrophy. So as a rule of thumb, when something is not working, you do the program you haven't done yet, which in this case is probably high reps. Absolutely. That's something which I uh, keep uh, repeating uh, to my uh, clients very often. What I learned from you, or what we learned from you, what, what you use often to say is the best workout is the one you have never done. So uh, in this case, Sebastian was uh, more into, let's say, sub sixes or reps, repetitions, uh, maxes, let's say. And uh, doing high rep will be very challenging uh, for him, but that's something maybe he should be uh, trying to uh, explore for some uh, phases to see how the response might be. In fact, based on your uh, answer, uh, we designed a few new programs, uh, what we call the standard programs or the online programs, which we sell online. And uh, those uh, would look into the use of the different uh, design parameters, different uh, mixtures between strength and hypertrophy or strength followed by extreme volume after after a few reps of uh, maximal strength in order to really boost plateaus and, and, and muscle development and hypertrophy. All right, to the next question, Charles. Question number five. What's your take on supplementation use? It's a question from um, Sandra, an online client of mine. My personal take on supplementation is that we live in a very toxic world and the way we detoxify our bodies naturally is through nutrient supply. So 
the average American will have to detoxify over 500 chemicals a day. And research is pretty clear. One of the things that help you uh, detoxify is the amount of nutrients. The body detoxifies mainly through the liver and it does it in two steps. The first step of detoxification usually in, uh, involves either a vitamin, a mineral or an antioxidant. The second phase of detoxification in about 90% of the cases is amino acid dependent. That's why vegans and vegetarians tend to have higher toxic loads and that's why recently uh, in Graz in Austria demonstrated that a vegetarian diet uh, does not protect you against cancer. Actually, you're more likely to get cancer if you're on a vegetarian diet and it would be safe to say that it's probably because you don't have enough protein to detoxify foreign elements in your body. It's very interesting, right? So to see uh, so many people uh, tend toward uh, being or becoming vegetarian and uh, thinking of uh, this diet to be natural, healthy, um, ethical, and so on and so forth. Uh, but what they ignore basically is uh, when they miss the amino acids coming from proteins, uh, you cannot get enough proteins from a uh, plant-based uh, diet. It's just not feasible. Um, and when you do that, you uh, end up uh, accumulating uh, toxicity. Uh, and we believe the accumulation of toxicity is based, as you said, Charles, from uh, uh, the lack of uh, amino acids, uh, which are needed for the detoxification process, but as well as the fact that those greens are very often loaded uh, on pesticides and insecticides and, and, and chemicals to make them grow and survive and landing on our plates. And we end up uh, accumulating toxicity and, and uh, increasing our risk of cancer. Um, that's on one side. The other aspect I would like to comment on here on the use of supplements I always uh, talk about when I teach and do my seminars is the fact that our nutrition is poor in terms of nutrients, in terms of uh, especially micronutrients, vitamins, etc. And uh, hence, there is a gap in nutrition. So uh, on one side and the other side, also our lifestyles, uh, which are high in, 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 in uh, stress load due to, uh, you name it, toxicity, EMF environment, very hostile environment to, uh, let's say, cellular health, mitochondrial health, we will basically end up consuming uh, those micronutrients, things like uh, zinc and magnesium, etc., or uh, also essential fatty acids uh, more often because we are fighting uh, uh, more wars than our ancestors used uh, on a physiological uh, level used to have, uh, and hence the use and the need, sorry, for nutrient-dense diet plus in order to bridge the nutritional gap the use of natural yeah supplements in order to uh, supply everything needed to not uh, delay or uh, uh, stagnate or uh, yeah so any any uh, physiological processes in uh, in the body all right charles let's get to the next question the next question from um, kiono from uh, japan And she's asking, what are the most important blood markers someone should look to? Regarding blood testing, the most important thing is red blood cell magnesium, red blood cell zinc, your morning insulin, your morning glucose, your HB1AC, which is a measure of the hemoglobin that's been damaged by high levels of glucose, and of course, vitamin D3. Uh, when you do those basic tests, 
you have a pretty good idea what's going on with your chemistry. One of the reasons why I like, for example, red blood cell magnesium is that to manage insulin, cortisol, and DHA sulfate, you need good levels of, of magnesium. Once you restore those levels of magnesium, your hormonal system is really functioning at peak. Great. Thank you, uh, Charles. Next question, uh, question number seven. This is uh, one of my questions. What are actually your methods, Charles, to uh, lower stress? Interestingly enough, the best way to manage stress is, is to have fun. When I do consults with high-powered executives, I always ask them, when was the last time you had fun? And you'd be surprised how many people say, I can't remember. So the first thing I do for managing stress levels is I write a prescription for fun. So they got to pick four hours a week where they do fun, but it has to have no purpose. In other words, it's fun to learn something, but if you're having fun to learn, and yet there's like an outcome that's just outside of fun, it's not that much fun anymore. So it could be playing with your kids. You know, uh, the average American father spends 59 seconds with their children. And then they complain that their kids don't listen. <laughs> Well, you know, if you spend more quality time with your children, that's one of the great ways to have fun. But sailing may be fun to you, or I love shooting. You know, fun is different for everybody, but you should plan for fun. The other thing that I think is very important to lower stress is to be grateful. So I ask my clients to write down three things that night they're grateful for. And often I get like an email or a text message, can I write more than three? Yeah, it doesn't make you a bad person. You could have 10 if you want. But, you know, people are grateful, live longer, they live happier, and they have better blood works, and that's verified by science. So being grateful for what you have is one of the uh, best ways to beat stress. Great feedback. Thank you very much, uh, Charles. Indeed, time with kids, time off, time do not doing anything productive is a, is a great way to de-stress. Okay, so my metho methodology very often with my clients is uh, trying to get them Uh, to be aware, first of all, about their main stressors in, life, in their lifestyles, social field, environment, nutritional uh, stress, etc., etc. And then try to teach them to identify the unnecessary stress. Uh, so for sure, our goal should never be uh, eliminating stress altogether. Stress is something which makes us uh, grow. Chronic stress is something which uh, destroys us long-term and short-term. Um, hence, I believe when we get to identify unnecessary stressors and then working on ourselves to, on one side, to eliminate those or reduce exposure to those uh, on one side, but then also on the other side, getting ourselves to become more resilient to stress, basically increasing our stress threshold would lead us to ignore unnecessary stressors and only have energy and focus for the right fights, basically. All right, to the next question, Charles. Question number eight is from uh, Markus. Markus from Germany. He's asking, what's the best exercise for hamstring if you don't have a leg curl machine? By far, snatch deadlift off a deficit. So basically you stand on a four to six inches or 10 to 15 centimeter platform and you deadlift with a white grip, so a snatch grip, and that will pack a lot of mass on your hamstrings. 
Great variation indeed. I remember when uh, we were back then uh, working for nuclear, uh, we had a compound in China where we had a small gym and all the engineers right after the after work 6 p.m. would go and, and, and train. We, we, we didn't have uh, Le Curl uh, back then. Mainly our exercises to replace or load the hamstring were Romanian deadlifts. Uh, and then uh, another idea of mine was to, because we had um, a cable crossover, so we would uh, put the bench next to the uh, cable. And then uh, we purchased some straps where we hook our ankles to uh, the cable and would do some sort of uh, leg curl. Of course, this strength curve was uh, quite poor force being coming uh, just from a 90 degrees angle so uh, longer or bigger angles were not really very solicited properly uh, but still it, it meant, uh, helped us to uh, somehow create a little bit of variation for the hamstrings. Another uh, option was the uh, Swiss ball leg curls. Uh, they were a great tool as well to train uh, the hamstring. All right, to the next question. Very special uh, question, again from Kiono from Japan. And she is asking, what are the most important things to control if you are a hard gainer and can't tolerate carbohydrate? Well, the way to look at it is that if you can't do a good job with insulin, then you must do a much better job with controlling cortisol. So things like a grateful lug, having fun, having regular sleep habits, my friend Stan Efferding, who's the only guy with a world record in the squat, is also an FBV pro, says that it doesn't matter which creatine is best or how much protein you take if you sleep four hours a night. So the basics for a hard gainer, in my opinion, the most important thing would be uh, quality and quantity of sleep. Amazing. I, I love it how you uh, shifted basically the, uh, the focus uh, to uh, hormonal, uh, aspect of things and that people who do not well do well with insulin genetically uh, that they should be looking into uh, working with cortisol amazing love it all right Charles the next question question number 10 from uh, Zarif Zarif is from Pakistan and is asking what supplements are important for people over 40 most important thing to take care of is your brain without brain it's no point living the thing we know now is that until 1982, we thought that the brain, once it's been attacked or damaged, that it's, that has no potential for regeneration. Now we know that's a myth of neurophysiology. In 82, the Nobel Prize in, in medicine was in neurophysiology, and they said that uh, once you damage the nervous system, there's no way to recover out of it. And now we know that this is completely wrong. What can regenerate the brain? The most important supplements are ginkgo, Bacopa and Gotricola. And of course, what we call brain-ready forms of carnitine. If you implement those in your diet, your brain can regenerate uh, rather rapidly. Great ins uh, insights, Charles, as always. Indeed, the importance of uh, the brain and cognitive function, uh, especially in uh, the, during those times where the insults on the brain are so uh, massive. It's very important, of course, to take care about uh, brain health. All right, let's get to the next question. Question 11 is from uh, Katarina. And Katarina is a mom from uh, Sweden, and she's asking when to start strength training for the youth. The most important thing for youth strength training is actually the child's ability to concentrate. Before the age of 12, you can do strength training, but it's got to be disguised as fun. So 
for example, strongman training, the classic stuff that adults would do, you could do it with children, uh, but you have to put it more into a competitive situation, like medley races, for example, are great. So the kids have a lot of fun, they compete against each other, but they develop their strength, whether it's in the ankles or lower back or upper extremities. Uh, learning the basics of gymnastics is, is really good, but can you actually lift weights? Yes, you can start lifting weights at age eight, but if your child is lagging behind in concentration, it may not be the right age, maybe he or she should start at 12. As a rule of thumb, 70% of kids by age 12 are ready to do um, strength training with weights. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you very much, Charles. Uh, the kids with us, um, we have the youngest uh, with uh, 12, we have 13, we have a few, uh, 16 and 15. The majority of them, I would say, when they come in uh, with a focus, is uh, uh, an attention span is very limited. They would not be able even to look uh, into your eyes as a trainer because of their attention is so drawn to the uh, to their phones and so on and so forth. And uh, but the, the beauty is when you start exposure as a game, uh, some of them start to develop this feeling of competition, uh, of willing to learn and to progress and do better, etc. And that's where they uh, start looking, uh, broadening their uh, focus and then uh, opening up to, uh, to the world. They are better at their schools, they are happier, they make their parents happier, etc. I think the myth of uh, starting the gym for kids with, uh, after puberty or with 18 or whatever is still enduring, unfortunately. So especially for parents or with parents who have never been themselves uh, into uh, sports or uh, strength training. But we hope that there, there is more awareness uh, in regard of the health benefits for kids' uh, development, uh, short-term, but as well, for sure, uh, long-term. Thank you, Charles, for the amazing answer. All right, so to the next question from Marcus again, and he's asking, is hypertrophy even possible without carbs? Is hypertrophy possible without carbohydrates? Yes, because you could have... Uh native Inuits from Northern Canada, they get hypertrophy on a 70% fat diet. However, it's always easier to hypertrophy if you have access to carbohydrates because they foster the increase in insulin and insulin tends to drive nutrients into the cells. But many athletes over the years, if they are eating properly, especially high nutrient sources, can build muscle without carbs, but never to the same degree as people who do have access to carbohydrates and and tolerate them. That, that is a for sure. Great answer as uh, always, Charles. Thank you very much for the uh, insight. All right, so to, to the next question from Jules from uh, Paris. He's asking how to alternate between what we call accumulation phases and intensification phases for athletes with incremental training age. I think that you could start from day one. The important thing to consider is that as a beginner, sets of 20 is not too, are not too long because you're weak. So you can gain maximal strength even with sets of 30 repetitions when you're a beginner. The truth of the matter is, is that the more you train, the less repetition per set you can afford to get stronger. So if you've been lifting weights for seven years and you want to get stronger, Probably six reps is the maximum number of reps that you should do. 
in 70% of the cases. So rep selection and variations in volume and intensity are critical at every stage of the iron game. But the rule is the more trained you are, the more often you need to vary your workouts and the less reps per set you should do. I love this. Thank you very much, Charles. Indeed, with the training age, uh, the maturity of the movement improves. Hence, the people might be able to uh, go for lower rep and their alternation between accumulation and intensification phases might be narrower uh, with the training age. Thank you very much. So let's get, uh, please, to the uh, question uh, number... That's the last question we have for you. Yeah, question number 14. What are the basic supplements everyone should consider? The most important thing you need to supplement, and that's based on a lot of years of uh, measuring it, is actually magnesium. About 4 grams for males, 2.5 grams for females, and that's to be something highly absorbable, like a chelate, an amino acid chelate, like let's say magnesium threonate or magnesium glycinate. The second most important would be a fish oil. If you have a lot of brain issues, you want an omega-3 that contains a lot of DHA. If you have a lot of inflammation, it's better to choose fish oils that uh, have a lot of EPA. The third one would be a multivitamin. Multivitamin will allow you to detoxify better, but also it's an insurance policy against deficiency because the quality of the soil has gone down dramatically. So some people say, well, multivitamin minerals give you expensive urine. No, cocaine gives you expensive urine. But a great, uh, if you look at research on the elderly, just a simple multivitamin extends both quality and quantity of life. So it extends your life and you are more functional during those years. The fourth one is probably vitamin D3. The farther you're away from the equator, the more you'll need it. You know, you need regular sun exposure to make uh, D3. The fifth one, in my opinion, would be a probiotic because probiotics regulate your microbiome in your gut, but also because of that, they also regulate your neurotransmitters. You can actually be depressed because of lack of uh, probiotics, or you could be unmotivated so you don't make any dopamine because your gut microbiome is impaired. So uh, probiotics are quite essential for optimal health. Absolutely. I love again uh, your answer, Charles. Um, and that's, uh, those are exactly the, the basic stack of supplements we, uh, we use uh, in order to uh, bridge the gap uh, for our clients. All right, Charles, thank you very much uh, immensely for your uh, time, for your insight, as always. And um, I wish you a safe travel back home uh, and hope to see you in Prague during the seminar with uh, Matt Wenning and uh, the GOAT, Eddie Cohen. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you. Merci. Thank you. Schön. And uh, see you in Prague. Thank you. Take care. Alles klar, Kommissar. And here we go. Charles, as always, throwing bombs of knowledge, a knowledge which has produced Olympic medalists and world record holders in 28 different sports. No one has produced as much and no one knows his stuff as Charles did. Please make sure to save this episode, share it with your friends and family and listen to it again and apply it. Knowledge not put into practice is volatile. Thank you very much for listening and trusting me with your time and until the next time.
Thank you for listening to the Peak Human Performance Podcast. Until next time, stay strong, strength, strength. and honor. honor. honor.